0: Larry, who? Never heard of her.
1: What sort of a man is he?
2: Dick from Bama.
1: A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. <laughs> This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome into the Larry Alex Taunton Show, and I am Larry Alex Taunton. It is great to be with you on this day and we've got something very special for you on this episode. We're gonna be just talking with, uh, with my three sons about homeschooling. Now this topic is in the news in a very big way because of what is happening in America's public schools Well, children, where children are not being educated, they're being indoctrinated. And so you find um, that this is a big discussion in the culture. Now I'm, you're not really seeing much about this in major media, but it is a topic of discussion on social media, and that is because many Christians are wondering, you know, what do I do? Man, not just Christians, by the way. There are many people who are not religious at all who just don't want their children to be Marxists, and they don't want their children to be sexualized um, and uh, to be, you know, uh, educated uh, by pedophiles. So, there, people are considering options, and uh, among those options, in in addition to private schools, independent schools, uh, um, you know, Christian schools, is home education. And there are a lot of misconceptions about this topic. But you know, Jason Whitlock of Blaze TV saw that I had tweeted about this just a little bit, and he asked me to come on the show to talk about it because he said that you know his uh, his brother had been uh, considering this, and while neither of them had been homeschooled, they were both now proponents of this as a as a real option so i I thought that as a as an aid to a lot of people who are thinking about this that what they uh what they might do is uh is just listen to this podcast where rather than just listening to parents talk about it they are listening to products of it so you guys you're on trial today people are paying close attention um they're paying close attention to you. And um, and what your uh, what, what your what how you've turned out to be, as uh, as individuals. But let's begin with uh, let's begin Zach, with. You need to leave. <laughs> yeah. Let's well. let's yeah. begin with uh, with introductions. We'll start with Michael, who is the oldest. Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm a, I'm an attorney in Birmingham, Alabama.
3: Um, generally do corporate litigation, uh, defend companies, often on appeal. Uh, I'm a husband uh, um, of a wonderful wife and uh, father of two children.
1: Wonderful you're not defending Disney right now, are you? No, they're not a client. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Christopher, you're number you're number two. why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us? I'm a director of community engagement here at Fixed Point. Um,
2: yeah, the second second of four children here. Um, recently,
1: I got married so coming up on a year and congratulations thank you your beautiful wife is uh is upstairs somewhere trying to keep children from making lots of
2: noise Mm -hmm. and uh recently finished up getting my master divinity
1: um at Beeson divinity school very good and uh zachary is the youngest of the trio why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself
0: yeah i run a startup in birmingham now i've been doing that for a little over four years um I am the father to no children and the husband to no wives, so it's just me and my job. <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> I thought you uh, had two. Yeah, well. <laughs> none, no, no, Ill, no illegitimate children. None. none. Uh, and we know you say of. a startup. What, what kind of, uh, you're already getting a feel for these characters, mm. but what kind of startup? So it's a social media marketing startup, but really
0: we work in the creator economy s- space with like influencers on YouTube and Instagram. We'll, we'll
1: come back to this a little bit later. What is the name of this startup? Embassy Social. So I see that you're well-branded today. Got to be. Yes, Gotta be. Uh, you've, you've, yeah. you're getting a, getting a little bit of uh, your brand out there. Product placement. Um, <laughs> product placement today. Guys, let's, uh, let's, let's start with this discussion. Michael, <laughs> uh, let, let me let me first set this up. Um, About how we got here now. I if any defects in my logic to those of you who are listening those on the left who wish to attack me Just know that I'm a product of public schools primarily. So it's your fault Um, but I also went to uh, to a private school and um, You know, I think the mentality of most parents is what I had is good enough for my children and uh, homeschooling when Michael was born Michael was born in 88 Um, homeschooling was not really a thing at the time and we were already starting to see some of the nonsense you know in public schools um, at that time I say starting to see it it had been around for quite some time nothing on the scale of what we're we're seeing now but this way this kind of uh, nonsense was uh, was going on at the time and Lori my wife uh, when Michael's about five, she says to me that she's interested in homeschooling. Now, to me that sounded branch Davidian. You know, I just thought this this sounds bizarre, it sounds weird, it sounds cultish because I didn't know anybody who homeschooled. Um, and you know, she just systematically demolished uh, every objection that I had to it um, by simply pointing out that, um, you know hey when when were you first uh um you know exposed to um pornography uh public school uh drugs larry um public school um bullying oh well my older brother but i i i get your point and uh she just systematically just just knocked down every objection that I had to this, and, um, and then the data was incredibly impressive, that, that homeschoolers were outpacing every other edu- educational demographic regardless of the parent's level of education, which is fascinating to me. So whether or not a, a father or mother had a college degree, their children were still outpacing in standardized tests. And now, by the way, they're trying to rig the standardized tests with critical race theory you know, kind of nonsense in order. Or, or just abolish them. Or just abolish them to make it, uh, you know, so that so the that, that kids who are coming out of, you know, Christian schools or home education don't know the answers to these kinds of questions. Um, anyway, it, this has nothing to do with actual education, but uh, all, all, of, all of that said, <coughs> the data was incredibly impressive. And I was seeing that Ivy League schools were actively seeking homeschool kids at the time because they had a tendency to excel and you know the most common um objection is socialization i love what steve jobs said steve jobs uh you know commenting on home education said you know abraham lincoln was home educated and he turned out to be kind of interesting <laughs> so we decided to to do it i told Lori she had a year we'd start michael a, a year earlier we, we we thought he was was ready he was a precocious first child as his first children uh often are and um you know i loved it i thought this this is working this i love how family life um uh <coughs> is central here that rather than our lives revolving around the school uh school revolves around our our life so michael let's begin with you um as a product of homeschooling, when you look back, I mean, what did you think of your teachers?
3: You, you know, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> a mixed lately. bag. I, I'd, I'd really have to sit and think about each individual one. No, it was, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, and uh, um, so, so I obviously, in individually, I split between homeschooling and I and I was in a private school as well. Um, but I thought, you know, you know, homeschooling gave you an opportunity to really focus on your strengths your weaknesses are gonna uh, are gonna be something that you get more individualized tutoring on if you need and you can move at your own pace um so uh, i mean you think of how much time and I, I think some parents have realized this actually during COVID, is they've had to do some home they've been forced to do some homeschooling and one of the things that i've heard repeatedly from parents is realizing how much dead time is actually yeah. in the school day
1: built into it so if your school day
3: we would be done when I mean, oftentimes noon, yeah. one o'clock. I mean, uh, you're, you're talking about, particularly when you're you're younger, three hours of school. Um, and when
1: you get older, maybe five. Um, you know, it's interesting because the harder part, I think from a parental <laughs> point of view of homeschooling is until the children learn to read. Once they learn to read, they can do an awful lot individually. So your mom could say to you, you know, Michael, I want you to read this story. I'm going to start the timer and go do the, uh, the laundry and then then come back. But they can do a little bit more on their own when they are uh, uh, old enough um, to read. Christopher, uh, you are next. You, you, you came along. By this time, we had a little bit of experience um, with Michael, knew what we were doing. Um, as you reflect on your homeschool experience, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I loved it. Um... I yeah I mean I I learned a lot I enjoyed um, especially the <laughs> reading part like one thing that I love because I remember like mom sometimes would even like
1: Zachary has the 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 the, the Rona the black yeah. play promise, uh, I
0: I promise I don't promise I don't
1: Zachary up. Zachary has the Rona over here and he's uh, he's dying but. Uh, uh, these seasonal allergies or something are killing him over here. But anyway, go go ahead. With the Taunton cough, as we call it. Right. Yeah, the uh, the dreaded Taunton cough is actually the Henderson cough because yeah. it it came from my mom's side of the family. I just want to be clear. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I always enjoyed it.
2: I remember sometimes even mom would uh, I don't know how to say bribe us even and say like, hey, you can do <laughs> two days of school today and take tomorrow off. Sometimes and so we'd be like, oh, awesome. We'd have that incentive so we would do double time and like do extra math and do extra reading and so on. And then, you know, we'd have some time, but I don't know. I think what I love also about homeschooling is that you can get creative with it. Um, like you might think, um, well, I'm not really great um, at science, let's say, or whatever. It's just because you're homeschooling doesn't mean you can't bring in some extra help. Like a, Maybe you have a friend who's really good at, at you know <coughs> science, or you have a grandparent, or whatever. Like it's you can be creative, and you can now there's YouTube videos on everything, and so I, I don't know. The point was is I love that you and mom were creative with how we did it. We would have like some sort of homeschooling curriculum, but often y'all would change it up a little bit, and you would assign like Crime and Punishment, and you know, <laughs> or whatever, and say like I want you to do a reading course that I assign
1: you the readings, and mm-hmm. you do some essays. So. Yeah, and, and when we started with Michael, there were very limited number of curricula that were available. and uh, and now there's, I mean, it's incredible how much is available to parents. just as you say, so much that is available online, whether it's on YouTube, or it's, you know Zoom or Skype meetings with, with tutors and things of that nature. You just reminded me, I hired, Phil Mulkey. Do you remember Phil Mulkey? Yes. Oh, yes. For sure. Phil Mulkey. Do you remember Phil Mulkey? <laughs> I do. I was
0: actually thinking about Phil Mil- Mulkey like two days ago. No kidding.
1: Tell everybody who Phil Mulkey is, Zachary. So,
0: Phil Mulkey was the <laughs> track coach at Altamont, right? Yes. And he was a friend of yours who you essentially got to run our PE classes, and so we ran <laughs> under Phil Mulkey. And, you know, we timed miles. We did all the good stuff with him, but he was he was a hard-driving guy. Do you, but do you was, know his background? He was in He's his. He was Olympian in his.
3: So something. he was. Yeah, he was my gym teacher when yeah. I was <laughs> in, in private school, and so because I did two stints with homeschooling, once through about um, fifth grade, and then and then high school, and so he had been my gym teacher at uh, Altamont. But he was a former Olympian. I believe had a military background. And he was in his late seventies. Um, it, it's at still the, still uh, kicking. Yeah, yeah oh, still and, going. Oh, more than that, I mean, I remember on his his seventy-fifth um, birthday. Him sitting down and doing seventy five push ups in front of us, <laughs> and uh, and and standing up and saying, "Man, when I
1: when I reach eighty, this is going to be a let's you fill in the blank." Yeah, <laughs> so. uh, uh, Mulkey. Yes, he was a former Olympian. I think he was in uh, maybe the sixty four or sixty eight um, uh, Olympics, I, the decathlon. He was once the world record holder, and I love Phil. Phil's yeah. such a character. But I thought, you know, these boys. They need, you know, I can give them, you know, some outdoor and, you know, physical education, let them get out and play and this sort of thing. But I wanted something more formalized. And I thought Phil will do this. And I remember him saying to you boys, you're you're complaining that, you were tired. You couldn't run. And he said, well, I reckon if an Al-Qaeda jumped down behind you with an AK-47, you would run.
3: <laughs> he he would have been the guy to carry it, too. And just make so you could go. do it. He was, he was one of those sort of old school uh, gym teachers that if he looked at you and said, good job, that really meant something. Yeah. Because you didn't you didn't get I, a lot of that. But when you
2: did, it meant something. I remember him uh, calling us over, and he's like, feel my abs. And he was like, <laughs> uh, I, he was like rock hard, right? And he was like, y'all are going to have that when I'm done with you. Feel. <laughs>
1: is a great human being, but but the point here being that it wasn't simply that your mother and I knew absolutely every subject. You could get, um, you know, people, especially by the time Zachary came along, there was beginning to be. You know more opportunities and co-ops i mean a, a huge thing that tons of homeschoolers
3: take advantage of now which did not exist when we were growing up is the, is the co-op model yeah which sort of stemmed from as my understanding is uh, you're a history teacher she's a science teacher how about you i'll teach your kids history you teach my mm. kids science and eventually that kind of blossomed into mm. um, what what is kind of a hybrid model uh where you know 75 percent of the work is done at home and, and then 25% of the work is done in sort of a classroom with hired tutors.
1: Yeah, and that, that works beautifully. And some people would say, well, now you're really starting to create a school. Well, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're now doing it with people that you really, really mm-hmm. trust, that you have uh, some c- control over this, You know what it looks like. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I thought And there's still was tons of flexibility. Huge tons flexibility. of flexibility. Even with the co-op model, there's still tons of flexibility. You know, one of the things that I thought was really wonderful from a... And, and maybe because now we put you <laughs> into a private school from fifth through ninth grade. Is that right? That's right. So um, I wanted Michael to get some Latin um, at the time I was teaching in a private school. Therefore, I had some control over who you had and where you went and... I could, uh, I could rig um, the, uh, you know, your class schedule just, uh, just a little bit. And um, I, we, we felt like that would be, be good for you and we felt like you were ready um, for that. Um, but you know, one of the things that I really thought was, was wonderful and maybe, I don't know, maybe not, but, but perhaps you three guys all take this for granted because you don't really know anything different. But as a, you know, a bit of an academic and doing a lot of research (laughs) and writing and this sort of thing, we could turn the world into our classroom and take you guys all over the world. Um, Talk about that experience. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, that's one of those things I realized after I got, you know, because when you're... When you're homeschooled, you don't necessarily get a sense of perspective on what other kids' education is actually looking like. And it wasn't until after I graduated high school and was in college at Sanford that I started to realize how unique my experience had actually been. It's because by the time I'd graduated high school, I'd probably been out of the country two dozen times to, I don't know, know, 12, 15 countries. Yeah, where are some of the places you went? So, yeah, France, Germany, England, Scotland, Australia, uh, Ukraine three times, Moldova, just kind of all over the place.
1: South America. Yeah, South America. Uh, And then... Medical missions.
0: That's right, yeah, Peru and there. And so when I got to college, obviously, like, I knew that was, like, different, but I didn't really have a real concept for how different it was until I got around people who'd never left the country at all. And they might have even come from like wealthier backgrounds or Occasionally
3: whatever. Occasionally it only left like <laughs> two states.
0: Right, yeah. yeah. And for me, it, it quickly showed me that like there's a lot more to education than simply the facts that you learn. It's about the way your your thinking is framed. And so like coming out, you know, with so much travel experience already, I found that I was, you know, saw the world as a more open-doored place that I could navigate. And a lot of kids, like they just had no concept of it. They might, you know, have had decent test scores, but it actually came down to like world experience, There's just, it was just a void.
1: Well, you know, I saw a tremendous opportunity to get you guys involved and I very much believe, ladies and gentlemen, there is, a, there is and I think it's largely a 20th century model, this idea that that kids are allowed to kind of not be contributors uh, in ministry, in, in, uh, um, in community, in anything until maybe they're 30 years of age. And up to that point, they're consumers. Lori and I took the view that our children, that there would be an expectation that you have responsibilities and that you are engaged in ministry from the get-go. And that might be just <laughs> handing out you know, um, uh, leaflets or bulletins at church or at one of our events or anything like that. But, but I, I think of this because I took all of you uh, on trips that are l- related uh, to the nonprofit that I direct, um, Fixed Point Foundation. Those of you who are watching are probably familiar with Fixed Point, if only because you're watching the Fixed Point Hour, you know, right now on Direct TV. But also because, yeah, also because there you go right there. But um, uh, but because you would be aware of our Super Bowl commercial, perhaps, or you are aware of some of our debates. But I'm, I'm mindful of Zachary. Had Zachary at the Edinburgh International mm-hmm. Festival where we were doing a debate um, with famed Oxford atheist, um, biologist, um, uh, excuse me, we weren't debating him, he was coming, yeah. uh, Richard it Dawkins, was, he was, Hitch- was coming <laughs> to these. It, uh, it was a debate that, that we had put on there along with Trinity Forum between Christopher Hitchens, also a, an Oxonian and, uh, and a well-known atheist, though a journalist, between him and Dr. John Lennox, Professor John Lennox of Oxford University. In any case, I'm I, I am before the event, getting all the cameras, you know, set up, and this is what I want, and this is what I want. And people are starting to file in, and I say to Zachary, who had been around, you know, Dawkins, you know, many times, as had uh, uh, all of you, and I said, Zachary, it's your job. We hear that Dawkins yeah. is coming, and it's your job to find him. And Zachary is. Uh, you know, wearing his little bow tie, and uh, he's up in the the balcony um, before the event. And all of a sudden, I hear, "There he is!" <laughs> <laughs> and Zachary is pointing at him from the uh, from up in the balcony. And I go over. Real to, subtle, yeah. <laughs> I, I like discretion in that moment. <laughs> and I go over to the cameraman and I say, "Hey, get a get a shot here of uh, Professor Dawkins in the." Uh, in the audience, I, I, it's funny because Hitchens saw you with your uh, with your tie and he, said, he saw that you were wearing black watch. Black watch, yep. And he says, a fighting man, I see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, uh, the <laughs> others of you on your, your travel experience.
3: Well, so I, I was going to say, actually, most of my travel experience was, was actually through the, the, the private school because yeah. you would lead um, tours abroad and I often would get to, to go on those. The The travel days at Fixed Point really didn't come along until I, I was already in college and, and so that, that wasn't as much in a, an opportunity, but playing off of what you had had mentioned about being involved and being a producer, not a consumer. um, Actually, my my experience on that would be in in high school, um, in in a lot of ways, I was kind of, I guess, the first employee of Fixed Point, and uh, uh, particularly putting together those, um, kind of like this, though we didn't have equipment nearly this fancy back in, uh, in, in those days. Um, but, uh, putting together talks, burning them individually, um, uh, on, on the, the CDs, computer, yeah. on the CDs. And, yeah. and <laughs> we, we did some travel, uh, you, you know, as you were speaking and things like that and, um, running the, uh, the resource table and, uh, handing those out or selling them or, or whatever it might be. And, um, so I certainly had lots of exposure to the experience. PCA,
1: you know, general assembly down in Orlando. That was so funny. And you guys, you guys worked that table. Uh, Worked at fixed-point table and were you know uh, um, In in the convention center uh, Convention Hall and that was very funny But But all of
3: that was possible because I mean oftentimes those were engagements (laughs) that were over lunch They were in the middle of the day at times where if you'd been at school if I'd been at school then um,
1: You know that wouldn't have been happening. Well our Latimer House luncheon series you could get involved in that when I was doing I, I won a fellowship and um you know, uh, Lori and I got married at, at, at 19, and uh, Michael was born at 21, so I was, still, I was still going through college, you know, when Michael came along, and I won a fellowship, and Michael was a, uh, uh, a lad who uh, had enough money to take Michael along with me, and I was doing um, research on the intellectual origins of the Holocaust. And uh, so Michael was with me as I'm going to um, Buchenwald and to Dachau and to, uh, did we go to Middleball Dora? I think did. I did. Yep. I think I took you to Middleball Dora. And um, we had some funny, you know. Mouthhausen. Um, yeah, w- Malthausen is not funny, but yeah. we, um, no. we had rented a, um, a Skoda <laughs> And you get out on the Audubon, you know, and, and you think you're doing something at 100, 110 miles per hour. These big Mercedes, you know, get behind us and flash their lights. Get know. out of the way. Get out of the way. But Michael was along for all that. And our thinking with each of you was, we wanted to bring you alongside, because part of, part of equipping a child, you know, uh, Psalm 127 says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior in our thinking with our children is that we were going to sharpen them and when you were ready we were going to pull you from the quiver and aim you at a wicked world where you would be salt and light and and actually what is happening right now in public schools is the very opposite is that is that many christians many people their own children are being sharpened into arrows against them so that you have so many parents who are discovering that their children hold ideas that are very hostile to them? Thanksgiving and Christmas are not stressful in our household because, um, in addition to sharing the same uh, a wonderful football team, um, we tide. we also we also <laughs> share um, the same you know largely the same um, political opinions, worldview. So uh, disagreements don't come down to um, to those kinds of things. But it was important because we felt like we could get you guys engaged, and involved, and exposed to the world as we kind of held your hand and exposed you to it. I remember you being with me when we went to Richard Dawkins' house. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, um, you know, called you my Sherpa. You know, you were, you were carrying all my equipment, and we went there. But you got to sit there um, at the feet of uh, guys like Dawkins and John Lennox and Christopher Hitchens and all these different debates and conversations that I'm having. You're right there um, as, uh, as a part of this, and you're getting to travel the world. All, all three of you were at Oxford University. Uh, you were at Oxford, yes, mm-hmm. when I was there for the summer? For the summer we were all yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like three for that. Yeah, okay. Yep. He was tiny, but yeah. he was, he was a little, But you were there, and uh, <laughs> you got that exposure, and of course later when you're a little older, as we mentioned, the Edinburgh International Festival and all over the place, uh, so these were wonderful experiences for you. Now I know many people who are listening are going, I, "I don't have those opportunities to do that with my kids. Your kids having the opportunity to just see you engage the world. That's way children learn is to see how mom and dad do it. There will be people who say, "You know, I don't think you can shelter your kids. Parents, that's your job. <laughs> that is a central part of your job description is to shelter your kids from a very wicked world, gradually (laughs) exposing them to it at your direction. You're the filter, helping them to understand all that they're seeing, and when the time comes, you set them loose into the world. Christopher, you got some interesting travel experiences too.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, That uh, especially when a lot of those debates were taking off. Um, Yeah, I got to come to Oxford that one time when um, we did the Lennox-Dawkins debate, the second one, um, Has Science Buried God?, and—
1: I quote you in The Grace Effect, talking about that.
2: Yeah, that's right. That was a really interesting experience in the Natural Science, um, or the Museum of Natural History. Yes. Um, Yeah, and I really enjoyed that. I remember I was reading at the time uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, and it just, I don't know, it felt really cool reading The Fellowship of the Ring in England, and... (laughs) But uh, I remember sitting in a lobby listening to the Kentucky Alabama game over the radio where, you know <laughs> Yeah, I'd forgotten about hovered that. over, over the that. radio. But yeah, I mean <coughs> great experiences traveling and then I remember we went on that uh Reformation tour um that you led, sort of some some parents from the you know, the private school where you worked and we got to come along to France and Germany and um see Wartburg Castle and see go to Strasbourg and Erfurt. Yeah, airfare, yeah, that so. was
1: interesting. Things related uh, uh, largely to to John Calvin and Martin Luther. That was a very interesting. That was very interesting trip with a, a translator, a guy named um, Andreas. Wasn't that his name? He was a uh, he was a real character. But we're going to take a break right now. We will be back in just a moment on the Larry Alex Taunton Show.
2: This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show.
1: Welcome back to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I'm sitting here with my three sons, Michael, Christopher, and Zachary, and we're talking about homeschooling. Guys, let's just uh, d- transition to a slightly different uh, aspect of home education. All of you went to college on scholarships. Did you find yourself getting there and being unprepared? No. Nope, quite the opposite. No. I feared I feared that I would
2: because um, it's, you know, you're one and people talk about that they're like you know you're not used to the classroom setting and all of that and so there was a little trepidation but but yeah once I got in there I just I actually remember that because you had
3: as I recall no classroom experience you had some with Mm co-op I had private school and it took you what two weeks to adjust yeah, if that. <laughs> yeah, if, if that. that.
1: Maybe a day or two. I mean, but I yeah. think also. So you didn't like, think you needed twelve years of sitting in a public school? No, uh, no. like I. In fact,
2: they my uh, professors kept having to. They you know be like I, somebody besides Chris talk. You know, so. <laughs> well, I found that like the gulf there was especially
0: huge around writing. It's because like so much of what we were doing early on in, oh, yeah. in college for me anyway was a lot of writing and you prepared us so well to write. Then when we got in there, I found that we were leaps in, or I was leaps and bounds ahead of where other people were who seemed to have not, never really written
3: that much. And speaking, and speaking, yeah. Um, yeah. And speaking mm-hmm. because so much of college revolves around you know, more of a seminar style, mm-hmm. um, particularly if you're not sitting in the big stadium seats and uh, you know in a, in a classroom, it can be easy to sit in the back and not say anything. In fact, a lot of
1: students—that's pretty much what they do for twelve and, years in college. Uh, and, excuse me, in the public school experience, you learn how to do that very it, well. It and turns
0: out in homeschooling it's kind of difficult to hide from the teacher. <laughs>
3: yeah. You're you're pretty visible, and so you end up having to do a fair Let's bit of talking. Let's see,
1: uh, Michael. Yeah. yeah, it's a classroom uh, of one. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, it is pretty hard to hide in a uh, in, in that kind of setting. Um, so you felt like you were all well prepared. For sure, intellectually, you were Mm, well prepared, exceptionally. Yeah, Um,
2: (laughs) being taught how to critically think—I mean, that was one of the things that you definitely. I mean, it's not that nobody, but like there were a lot of people they just regurgitate, Mm. you know, this book or that book or this, you know, expert or that expert, and you're just wanting to know, well, what do you think? Yeah, and it it just feels like if they don't have these experts to rely on or whatever, that they can't regurgitate what they hear their professors say or so on. They don't and, and more than that you'd
3: mentioned earlier um you'd mentioned earlier um you know, you know sheltering and exposure and obviously that's one of the things that gets um uh, you know brought against homeschoolers right you're just sheltered you don't know anything uh c- certainly there can be some elements of that <laughs> from time to time but uh, from an intellectual standpoint looking at it from an intellectual standpoint um i, I would say if, at least if you're doing your job right as as the teacher and as you and mom did um I wouldn't say we were sheltered. We had been exposed very, very Absolutely. broadly, um, you, you, you know, to a wide range of philosophies and worldviews and ideas like uh, mm-hmm. ideas of all types. So that when we're encountering <laughs> them in college, it's not the first time we've seen these things. And I felt um, that particularly. Uh, you know some good kids from um, maybe more like the public schools you grew up in uh, more rural a, a little bit more traditional but often they were very sheltered yeah and they're encountering these things for the first time in college and they don't know what to do <coughs> right. um, where you would expect that to be the homeschooler no
1: I'd seen it all mm-hmm. yeah we had um, we made a point of exposing you to as many um, worldviews but but also just by doing things like, watching a movie with you and I, I pause it and say now what's wrong with with what's being being pushed here or um, you know uh, doing that with commercials what philosophy is uh, being pushed here and I think of I mean, you probably know exactly where I'm going with this story Sob. Zachary Sob. Zachary, <laughs> Zachary does um, it was so funny because Saab which is out of business now, but they had a commercial, probably because
0: of that commercial. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. wish,
3: because they kept comparing their cars to jets. Oh, yeah, well yeah.
1: There, there we go. Well, Saab, <laughs> of the automotive uh, manufacturer of uh, yesteryear, but they had a commercial back in the early 2000s, I guess it is, and in uh, it's there's there's no narration. It's just music and a beautiful couple in a Saab convertible going, winding their way down what appears to be the California coast, you know, waves crashing into the rocks and beautiful weather and the birds are singing and the wind is flowing through their hair. And uh, he looks over at her and she looks at him with this very sexy, uh, you know, kind of look. And she begins taking off one article of clothing after the other, and she holds them up in the wind, you know, catches them as they go. and <laughs> He's kind of looking and then the camera pans out and it goes sob. And uh, you know, so I would say to you boys, you know, what's being promoted here? What, what worldview is in this? Well, I, you know, to show you the power of advertising, it, it, it couldn't have been six months later that I get a call from Michael saying, dad, it had nothing to do <laughs> with that commercial. <laughs> nothing and to I do. I get a sob. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> I, my car had been totaled. Yes. Um, a, sure. A car wreck sure. That All was, right. Somebody yeah.
3: backed into my car, and it had totaled the car, and I had driven a Saab convertible, first convertible I had driven, and it was a blast.
1: It had nothing to do with his hope that beautiful women would be taking their clothes off in his car. Well, right? I did
3: take Camille for a test drive in it, but no, that didn't yeah. happen. Well, I will not ask Camille, what, uh, but Camille
1: his, uh, his wife, what happened on that particular uh, trip down uh, Highway 31. But in any case, we exposed you... <coughs> Now here I am coughing. We got it. We exposed you to different worldviews through the everyday, just by asking you um, to process what is being promoted in a in in a film, what's being promoted in a uh, in a commercial, in a in a magazine advertisement. What philosophy is there, and how does it compare to a biblical worldview? So we wanted to train you up, as the Apostle Paul says to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. (coughs) So you felt like you were prepared um, intellectually when you went to college. How about from a, uh, you know, the major arguments that's used against homeschooling is what? Socialization. 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 Were you guys extremely awkward and unable to get along in college? Totally. No, <laughs> no, no.
3: no. I, I mean, to, to be fair, I, I know where that argument comes from. I've met those kids. Um, I, I'm not going to say that they don't ever exist. Um, and, and you do have to work a little bit harder at socialization, but it's not that difficult. I mean, we, we had um, tons of friends growing up, usually right. through church, um, particularly if you're working through a co-op or something these days. You're going to get some of that naturally through the, the schooling that you're and doing. And when you're old your
1: enough, we got you jobs and whatnot.
3: So I mean, it's 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 not it's not hard
1: um, to, to get well, that exposure and, and, and do that,
3: and it's in a more controlled environment where less bad
1: things happen. And let's be clear, there are plenty of. I mean, if we're going to have the socialization argument, are we really going to argue that public schools is the place to be? Well, How many weird actually, kids do you meet coming out of public schools who are absolute social disasters? The ranks of Antifa and Black Lives Matter are, are filled with public school product so please don't use the socialization Mm. argument it's absolutely absurd but anyway I would would
2: say uh, good I would say that uh, there's also there's just like with public school um, or whatever with private school or where there's a very broad spectrum and you're dealing with all sorts of people and so on with homeschooling there's a very broad (laughs) spectrum and I think that there's the stereotype That really is almost like Hutterite. And you do have that kind of a homeschool. With all due respect to Hutterites. Yes. Yeah. Well but what I'm saying is is that that a lot of people think that to homeschool that means that you're just like completely
1: withdrawing from the world and you're you know, and that's not You've you've been raised in some kind of monastic, cultish environment. I don't know that 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 image is 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 as prominent as it used to be. No, it's the image well, we grew up with. Yeah, was well, I would actually you, say yeah.
0: that the irony is so many of the kids that I knew who were homeschooled who actually fit that image were kids who had been uh, public schooled first and had been expelled actually. Yes. I knew tons of those kids who were yes. not originally homeschooled but actually had been public schooled
1: first. So it homeschool became yeah a, a <coughs> stopgap. It was right. uh, it was a, They had been expelled from public school. It was school. an emergency right. requirement of kids who were not succeeding in uh, in public school and um and who right. were who are often victims mm-hmm. of it um
3: and, and one of the things that that i'll say about this having having now a, a child of my own who is in school and having to work through these these things sort of from the other is side is she in a public school um she's not in a public school <laughs> um definitely not but the um um though though you, you know we had that conversation too camille um went to public schools and so we we worked through that too and it's uh uh, I mean, I, I really respect the decision that you and mom made when you did, because uh, now it is so stark and so obvious um, that, that even uh, Camille would say, wow, this, is, this isn't the school that I went to. Yeah. You know, this is completely different than the school that I grew up
1: in. Well, public yeah. schools want to uh, c- continue.
3: What, what I was going to say on the, the socialization thing is it's one of the things that you see is that part of what that means is um, that, that by putting a child with their peers, their peers sort of extinguish their uniqueness. Yes, Um, Keep them from actually pursuing things that naturally they would be inclined to pursue. And it makes everybody the same. It makes everybody sort of pursue the same things, like the same things. That's one of the big things that peer pressure actually accomplishes, right? But that's not necessarily a good thing. Sometimes peer pressure can be a good thing, and if it keeps you from doing really stupid stuff. Well, I love. But generally speaking, it, it sucks the creativity well, I think, out of children.
1: I love what Dr. James Dobson said many years ago. This was probably in the 90s, but Dobson had been opposed to homeschool like, for instance, back in the 70s and into the 80s. And by the 90s, he said, "I was wrong. I, I was wrong. I uh, um, I repent of that." Because <laughs> and he became a strong homeschool proponent and one of the things he said again child psychologist that i think is very interesting is he said the idea that socialization is important is is nonsense because most of what kids pick up from other kids is unhealthy Mm -hmm. you want them modeling um adults meaning oftentimes homeschool kids don't fit in with their public school peers simply by virtue of the fact that they're more mature and they're more interested in, uh, in serious things they're not you know they're, they're not into the drug culture they're not as peer dependent they're, they they don't fall in into these common categories and I'm not suggesting by the way that every public school um, a product is a failure but I am saying that if these days you're putting your kids into public school you might be part of the problem when I went to public school this is this is interesting not by the time you guys came along this was not true. Uh, and hence the reason you, you didn't go there. I was taught the Lord's Prayer in public school. I was required hmm. to learn it. Um, evangelists... Very different world. Yes. Evangelists <laughs> were brought to our school who preached hell every year and had altar calls. Lawsuits would be filed <laughs> like that. In public schools where kids came down the, uh, you know, the auditorium aisle and gave their life to Christ. Fellowship of Christian Athletes was extremely Uh, prominent on campuses. We were taught to love our country. Um, We were taught to be uh, obedient um, to our parents. Uh, Our parents had um, a real say in what happened in the school. Corporal punishment, which will horrify some of you who are watching and listening, they sent home a sheet of paper at the beginning of every year to ask parents, do you allow us to use corporal punishment on your child. That is to say, to paddle your child. My parents signed that letter every year and- um, He has firsthand experience. <laughs> I yeah. have firsthand experience because I was paddled a lot through school and uh for pulling all every kinds year of they must have signed it again <laughs> <laughs> mom and dad signed that thing every Gleepily, time. i'm sure <laughs> and uh and if you if you talk back you could expect a paddling i recall in grade school my teacher she would pull your hand back and take a ruler and whack your uh your hand when you were misbehaving um, one time uh, in third grade famously Uh, My teacher was out of the room and to amuse the other kids I got up on her desk and was dancing when she came into the room straight to the principal's office I was paddled again the principal um, uh, Raymond Clark uh, Who gave who called me after the grace effect by the way came out my first book and um, Said to me, you know I love this book and the, 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 the man that you've become, I said, Mr. Clark, you paddled me a thousand times. And he said, and look how you turned out. (laughs) But it was common in those days. And you guys, um, you know, when you came along, the public schools had changed radically. And now from the time you were kids to the way it is now, even, even more so, we just decided we weren't putting our kids in that (laughs) environment. We weren't going to do that. And I also want to be clear that I'm not saying that homeschooling is the only option. There are other options, but I I want to emphasize to those of you who are listening, who are watching us today, you may think the idea of homeschooling is simply overwhelming to you because it means you're standing in front of a whiteboard every day and your child is sitting there at the kitchen table. This is not what it looks like. Uh, you can reach out to us. You can talk to my wife. You reach out to um, uh, us at LarryAlexTaunton, T-A-U-N-T-O-N, T-A-U-N-T-O-N LarryAlexTaunton.com. I'll put you in touch with my wife who has mentored many a family through the process of homeschooling and what that looks like. But you're all fine young men. You're not, um, you're not perfect young men, uh, but you are fine young men who are all quite successful well, in and, your own uh, endeavors,
3: and and uh, to, to, to your point that there, I mean, there there are other options. I was talking with somebody about this. I don't know, maybe a year ago, and I, I, I look at it this way: at the end of the day, education, a child's education, is primarily moral and spiritual, not just mechanical. And the left actually has figured this out. Yes, they are very much about this. sharpening the arrows and, against parents. And yes. So, um, but the education is primarily moral and spiritual. And if if you believe that, we should we should want better for our kids than simply that they not be assaulted. Yeah. which I feel like is is frankly setting the bar pretty low. That's where it. It is. And it's, well, I just want them to go to a school where they won't be assaulted And Well, no, you want them to go to a school <laughs> yeah. where these things will be actively inculcated. Where
1: they where they're fortified morally, and there, spiritually, there are there
3: are plenty of options available where
1: that may be the case.
3: But that <laughs> that's that has to be the mindset. That has to be the way you think about it. And where are you
1: accomplishing <laughs> that best? Certainly one of the places you accomplish it is in home. So. You you felt yourselves um, well prepared um, intellectually, spiritually, socially, Christopher. You felt like that, no doubt. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I I really enjoyed um, college. Made a lot of friends, and all through homeschooling, um, like we were very active in our church. Um, I had friends in public school, private school, homeschool. I had friends across the board, and you know we would hang out, spend the night at each other's houses, play video games, whatever, like go on, you know, family trips, this sort of thing. So it never felt like, um, there was anything lacking in that me, Well, okay, I was gonna
0: say on the, the socialization side of things, like, I feel like socialization is in a lot of ways, the wrong word. Cause it is true that if you're homeschooled, that you're going to stand out or from your peers, once you get to college or wherever else. But the, the primary way that ends up being true is really on like pop culture is for me the place where I would say I felt it the most and it was not something that I really wanted to change. You mean because you weren't a Backstreet Boys groupie or something like that? Yeah, it's because everything they were talking about I frankly didn't relate to. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) It's like everything they were talking about I did not relate to. But over and at the very beginning of experiencing that, you can be like, "Dang, I wish I was involved in that." And then after about an hour of listening, you're like, "No, this is actually do, kind of, do you really kind of miss dumb." Like I don't the want to actually. It's <laughs> like I don't actually like want to relate to this because you grow up with such a different experience that it is difficult to fit in initially. But you can pretty quickly realize that that's a positive thing, not a negative one. And it's because it it's what makes you think. About the world more critically,
1: very, very, very quickly, um, so that our listeners get an idea of what happened with each of you post college. So all of you got your college degrees, and uh, after you graduated from uh, from college with a degree in what, Michael? What was your degree? I got a degree in, in
3: classics, which um, means Greek, Greek and Latin mostly, uh, history, philosophy, and language. And so, nerd, which what? was one of the things I got tutoring in in high school, all of high school.
1: Okay, so. Um, what did you do after college? Well, um,
3: I, I took a year, um, worked for Fixed Point, worked as a barista. barista, uh, waited at my, my wife. Fancy was, way of
1: saying a guy makes your coffee, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um,
3: we uh, um, waited for my wife to finish college, we got married, and then I went to Yale you know, Law School. Okay. She went with me.
1: So, um, you know, looking at that whole process, thinking what, what that would be like, I have a lot of friends who are in uh, who are lawyers. And uh, I thought Michael has a good, a good mind for law. And they set up a, um, uh, an internship for you. And uh, you decided this was a world that but, you could move in and uh, felt like you could probably do fairly well. Took the LSAT, blew the... Uh, particularly once test scores rolled in, there were a lot of internship offers. Yeah, a lot of internship <laughs> offers. And um, so you, you headed off to, um, to Yale Law. The Yale Law experience... Um, just briefly, um, did you find that was very corrosive to your Christian worldview? No. Now, in, in fact,
3: uh, it's funny. I've, I've talked about this before, but I kind of went in with my fists up. Yeah. Um, expecting that, that it was going to be very hostile and, and, and such, and, and quickly kind of started pulling them down as I realized, and this is just a different conversation about the Ivy League, but the Ivy League was so far post-Christian. Yeah that when I came in they almost didn't even know how to engage me
1: yeah it was an evangelical in in their midst uh,
3: when when people saw me they they kind of eyed you as a curiosity like I I thought dinosaurs were extinct where where did this one come from Hmm. and so um I I felt some in some ways a little bit like a museum piece me and and the five others in my class who Mm -hmm. who actually would would claim some kind of faith and uh um, I, I found that in, in a lot of ways it was very fertile ground. Um, it was very challenging from the perspective of trying to get into the mind of the way they, they thought, the way they filtered the world, uh, which again was so post-Christian that sometimes you, you had to, to really kind of step back and th- how am I going to engage here? Um,
1: but fascinating experience. Um, and, uh, and interesting from the standpoint that uh, you were well prepared to defend your faith in this environment. Yale Law, just to be clear, is so far to the left. They are the engineers of some of the radicalism that we're seeing in in, in the culture right now. Very often. Very often, and so you may wonder why would you?
3: I was talking about critical race theory about five years before (laughs) everybody else
1: and saying, this is the next thing. Yeah, and you were, you absolutely were. You were talking about before I'd heard of it, and um, so it was from you that I, that I first heard about this, but it was interesting because some of you may wonder, well, why would you want your Christian child, you know, to go to a place like Yale Law, um, to be equipped by the Babylonians like Daniel um, to be, to use uh, their own arguments um, against them? Christopher, how about you? What happened to you after you graduated? Um, from well, first of all, what was your degree in?
2: um also a classics major um so um in my case because i already had in mind that i wanted to go to seminary um i didn't really love the religion department and so um Mm -hmm. the classics department um i took greek i took latin but i thought it would just be a good leg up and
1: and honestly yeah i just really love it love my teachers there but um big difference between the religion department and the uh the divinity school at sanford university oh yeah uh, huge, They're, huge uh, di- yeah polar opposites so you went there and you but, uh, uh yeah then i went on um i got a d-min no excuse um, me you got an m-div excuse yeah, me MDiv. masters of divinity yeah m-div and uh
2: um worked um yeah i mean sometime as you a, didn't want to
1: say a barista like him well, i did i worked as a barista some. <laughs> yeah. um and then Fancy coffee maker but
2: uh, i also was a youth i, can make some I was a things, youth director <laughs> I was a youth director for a couple of years, and and, yeah, and then came and uh, been working with Fixed Point. And uh, you were ordained. Yeah, ordained um, in the Southern Baptist Church, and uh, um, also just uh, had
1: a cool opportunity to write a book, so. Yes, you did. Um, The Bew white Story, uh, which you can find on Amazon, find retailers everywhere. Uh, Yes, Christopher wrote uh, that biography, a great experience um, for him. Zachary, how about you? What, 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 what did you get your degree in? You went, you went as a part of the degree. (laughs) I I did. You, you, you were part of the fellows program at Stanford University. I was. And what did you get your degree in?
0: Marketing. Marketing. Got my degree in marketing and then started my business. Now, my last semester of senior year.
1: Okay. (laughs) And, um, what does that business look like? What, what is it? So, it's
0: um, social media marketing through social media influencers. So, you know, people with giant audiences on Instagram or YouTube get brand deals to promote a product. Um, and it's, a, it's a very large industry, but an inefficient one. And so, we step in and fill that gap so that brands can pay for um, sponsorships through us.
1: And this is an app? That's an app, that's right. So, uh, would the average person download this from the App Store or not?
0: Uh, they could. The average person probably wouldn't
1: know. So, no, it's, 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 aimed it's designed at, um, for influencers. Right, influencers and then brands. That's right very good now in our remaining six minutes guys (laughs) what in the world is happening that so many of your generation are what people call woke let's start with you chris what's going on there um that they're woke i mean you
2: have all kinds of can you rephrase the question well jump in here, guys.
3: Help him. I mean, what's going on with... um, I I mean, I think there's a few things. One is what we've been talking about, right? I mean, is education. And uh, I mean, if you ship your kids off to school and you allow them to be educated by somebody else who doesn't share your values um, for eight hours a day and you spend 30 minutes with them in the evenings, um, you shouldn't be that surprised when they end up reflecting the values of the school they attend rather than yours. Um, So I I think that's that's a big part of it. Uh, Another part of it, I think, is that um, and, and part of the way we were taught, I, I think a lot of it has where where people started really paying attention to woke is on s- sort of homosexual issues, transgender right. issues, you know, these kinds of things. And where did that come from? I, I think a part of it is um, growing up. Your um, generation, I feel like, was taught uh, the stories <laughs> of the founding and World War II, and that's that was that was your mentality. Those were your heroes. Um, we were taught the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, yeah. Which is is certainly worth studying, but um, and and is uh, you know wonderful thing that, but taught it from a very secular perspective, not from the Christian engine that was driving it. And so I know so many people who came out and thought, well, I want to be part of the next civil rights movement. Where's that civil rights?
1: Movement? You've made an interesting comment about this, but go
3: and, ahead. Um, and and so sort of grafted onto actually sexual rights <laughs> issues um, as as this is this is our civil rights movement. Uh, the fight so the. How about you, Zachary? What do you think?
0: Um, well, I think in a lot of ways it, it does just boil down in some way to a failure of education because education's purpose should be to teach people to think, not to teach them what to think, mm-hmm. and so many of you know, my peers I've encountered, I discovered really had never been forced to make their own decisions, and so most of the things that they would be fed, they would just accept as gospel truth, and then you pair that with the fact that I think honestly the church has been really heavily infiltrated by this and has exchanged an ultimate truth and you know what's right and wrong for the gospel just being being nice and so if you say something that's not nice anymore suddenly you're the bad guy so they're, 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 the new truth is simply being nice to everybody being liked yeah that's right and i know so many christians who who think this way that oh we just need to be nice and i'm like well that's not actually what your call is is to stand although christians
3: conflate and say that's being loving Right. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Well, I would. Sorry, I I, I blanked it at first because I was messing with the sound levels here. But the, I do think definitely with like our generation, there's been a lot of like where I first sort of started seeing what's become what we would call woke, is this sort of they would say like our generation about our parents' generation this lack of inclusivity, where yeah that it's not the church isn't loving or you know Christians aren't loving enough and so. Where, um, you know, and, and this is, that we
3: say some controversial things, that's usually what that means. Uh, this
2: is a victory. This is a victory, of course, with um, academia right now, um, with the left and so on, where they framed it as, you know, look at how, um, yeah, controversial, how unloving you're being towards like homosexuals, <laughs> towards minorities and so on. And where our generation, um, which is as one. Yeah, Ben. Inculcated by public school, by academia, right now is um, is absolutely bought into that and felt, um, you know, sort of this victimization <laughs> and, where and they're like, yeah, w- the church is so you know unloving towards
1: these people, and it would just be so much easier. Why can't we be more inclusive? You made a comment on one occasion that your generation, something to this effect, the story that your generation, <laughs> yeah, repeat that.
0: I think this is a product of. The social media age has really made a lot of this way worse and it's because we are such a privileged and entitled generation that everything's been handed to that in the absence of any real struggle we're just inventing them at this point Mm. and people want so badly to be a part of some story and some drama that they can't find that they're just creating one and so talking about civil rights so right? they move yeah. move immediately to Ukraine. Yeah. you know <laughs> exactly that's my new everything it's just like in this a lot of it is you know just the sense of virtue signaling but it's like hey we don't have a real civil rights movement going on right now so we're gonna equate everything that doesn't really matter in our lives and act like it's a civil rights movement okay and, 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 and a lot of ways first of all that's just an insult to real the real civil rights movement no, it
3: absolutely mm-hmm. is
0: <laughs> but like i so many of my you no know, classmates who you know, came in, actually, the ones who I, I worried for the most were the ones who we talked about earlier, who were the ones who were sheltered out of you know, a small town, who never really encountered views opposed to their own, and would get into a university setting and just get demolished. And they're the ones who would most often leave trumpeting every cause known to man, right? Whatever the new thing is that the left is pushing so emotionally is now their new truth, and it changes almost every month. It's just because it's like this, I want to be a part of it. So
1: you have, what what you have is, uh, so now I'm uh, I'm all in on Black Lives Matter. So yep. I have a fist as my, you know, as, as my mm. avatar. And then I go from that to um, some kind of uh, thing about transgenderism. <laughs> and then I place my Ukrainian flag up there as yep. an avatar. They just keep going from one Post thing your to your black the next. square, people. Yes, everybody is getting out there, getting their own story out there. Guys, we've got about 45 seconds left. Anything you'd like to add quickly? I was just gonna say. Um, I, I mean, on that, that um, I lost my train of thought. Nope. Okay. Strong ending there, Michael. It's yeah. Very, very <laughs> strong ending. <clears throat> well, it has been a pleasure to have all of you on the show today, and uh, you can find uh, our show everywhere. You can find it on um, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Rumble. You name it, and uh, look for us at Larry Alex Taunton. Dot com, where every show is, uh, is archived. It's great to be with you today, ladies and gentlemen. Please tune in with us next time. Turn out the lights. The party's over.
2: They say that all.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?